Hey guys, just before we get into it, we would like to acknowledge our podcast partners in Beyond Blue. If you're feeling low, anxious, or need to talk to someone, please contact the people at Beyond Blue. Their phone number is 1300 224 636. You can visit them on the website as well at www.beyondblue.org.au forward slash get support. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and here with me as always, my best friend, uh, best man in the world, Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing this week, mate? Uh, going very well, thank you, John. It's been uh, a bit of time between podcasts, but uh, I'm certainly ready and raring to go. Plenty of good ideas, and this uh, this is going to be a bit of a ripper, I reckon. I reckon you're right. Um, I know, Look, I know that all the listeners obviously miss the podcast as much as we miss it when we're not doing it. Um, but I mean, it's always good to jump back on with you and have a bit of a chat. I did first, before we get into the podcast, just want to have a little word from our partners, uh, partners at Australian football coach, the Aussie rules management video game. If you like strategy, you'll love Australian football coach. Australian football coach is the premier Aussie rules football coaching simulation. It is. Um, and what you do is you build your list, you pick your team and your tactics, and you coach your team towards a flag. Um, a lot like we see in real AFL. I mean, I, I try to do this thing in NBA all the time. Um, if anyone's played NBA 2K, it's 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 the closest thing we can get. Um, and you can find out more at australianfootballcoach.com or check out Australian Football Coach on Steam. Um, and look, the, the team from Australian Football Coach, um, I... I Know them personally, uh, reached out, fans of the podcast, John Holden. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great man. Um, but th- they've been they've been big supporters of the podcast from day one. Um, and we, we decided to try to support each other a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I think Sean and I are going to have a proper um, review of the game um, in, in coming weeks for you guys. So Absolutely. stay tuned for that. Um, we have we have been having a little bit of a play, um, and it seems pretty good. But yeah, we're definitely but, looking forward yeah. to sinking our teeth in and giving a proper review. That's for sure. I think until um, until I've won a flag, I feel less confident about reviewing it. I want to tell people how to clock the game, um, <laughs> not necessarily how to how to just participate in the game. Um, but anyway, um, there are other games that have obviously been on as well. Um, so we had, we've had another round of football. Um, we threw up a lot of. We threw up a lot of surprises. Um, before we get into it, life also throws up a lot of surprises. Um, how's, how's your mental health going, mate? Going well, mate. Um, this week has been, uh, look, I think overall it's been very good. Um, not without its frustrations this week. We've had, um, well, I guess we had a little bit of a, a family uh, scare potentially with a, with a COVID infection. Um, it's all come back clear, so... Um, I guess there's no uh, there's no real impact, but for a couple of day, days there, we were just waiting on one of our family members to get tested, and um, it really did highlight to me, I guess, um, the risk of this this disease, this virus in our society, and especially in Victoria at the moment, obviously with a lot of community transmissions um, and how serious it is, and so you know. Um, very, very concerning couple of days um, for our family member and 
potentially the risks to other members of our family who we have had contact with as well. So, you know, you're kind of looking at that chain of infections. Um, so, you know, uh, my wife and myself, we locked ourselves down until we heard he was all clear and, um, you know, glad we did that. So we, we did try to do our part in preventing the spread. Um, and, yeah, just I guess, yeah, kind of going through it probably uh, perplexed me a bit to hear some of the stories about, you know, especially overseas with, you know, the, you know, that um, tennis player who shall name, name, remain nameless, um, I guess, running a tennis tournament um, with all good intentions, but clearly uh, flaunting social distancing rules. And, and, you know, it's, if that doesn't highlight to everyone, you know, the risks to us, then I'm not sure what will. And, um, yeah, I guess that's probably been on my mind a lot this week. But overall, everything else in life is going well. We're happy. We're healthy in this household. So how about you, mate? How's your mental health going? It's been pretty good the last week and a bit. Um, I mean, I think we all sort of, I don't know say we all. Um, I, I was, we were all sort of got a pretty pre-over COVID, um, even though it was still a major health risk. People were wanting to see people and, and get out. Um, I, I know that we were having this discussion at a family event um, on Sunday that was planned. We were still within the restrictions that would have been in place in Monday. Uh, but I think when our cousin realised that we were arguing over semantics, saying that um, we had technically six people that weren't living in that house, but one still had his license being that address. Um, so technically, if the police were to come around, we would have been fine. Um, I think we, he sort of said to the point, well, it's this, we're not trying to argue about a technicality, so this is a health thing. Um, so from a health perspective, we shouldn't be doing this because it's not right. And, and it's completely right. That's, that's sort of the hardest thing to grapple with is that this isn't a this isn't a maths game. It, it's a it's a health crisis. Um, so we're trying to reduce our chances of exposure as much as possible, which is why we're taking these measures. Not because we like it. Um, it's just the right thing to do. So, well, I mean, I've, you say it's not a numbers game, but there is a numbers component to it as well. Yeah, I, you just got to yeah, I, you have to play the numbers. That's what I'm trying to I'm trying to say. It's a it's not a numbers game as in how many people can we sneak in. Um, it's a numbers game as in we have to reduce our exposure as much as possible, yeah. um, which, is, which is the point. And I mean, the reason that they're focused on family is because it, as they sort of pointed out, Dan Andrews pointed out, it's really hard not to go behind closed doors with family and hug and kiss and spend a few hours together in the room. Whereas in restaurants and stuff, they've, they're so active on it. And not all restaurants are as active, but you know, it feels uncomfortable um, hugging and kissing in public at the moment because of except obviously with your with your partner or um, your closest family who you potentially see every single day. Um, but th- those aren't the people that this, these rules are trying to protect you from. Um, yeah. And I mean, I had a really interesting conversation. So this plays into two things. Um, we talked about the games from the weekend, but there was one game that wasn't a game on the weekend. Um, <laughs> D's, D's and Don's um, yes. due to the Connor McKenna case um, or not case, depending on which side of the fence you are sitting on. Is he positively um, negative or negatively positive? Well, that's that's the question now. And, and that's sort of what the most recent test, um, which was negative, has brought into question. Uh, and I think that you can probably do the math um, 
yourself and sort of if you if you understand the science behind this i don't understand it well enough but i understand the math well enough to know that there's something funky going on um five negatives followed by two positives and then a negative the general time frame at which those overlap suggests that there is an error somewhere um there's either an error on the tests leading up to uh an error in the two tests that were positives or an error in the most recent test um but there's definitely errors somewhere so this uh, football case as much as it's just one case in a football club um, because of the way that football is in the media so actively especially in Victoria which is the hub of activity for COVID right now um, it's going to really bring into question the accuracy of this um, how, how accurate are we when we say that we're 98% accurate uh, like what like if you do the math on it I, I don't think that the chances of two false positives um in a row are that high definitely the chance of five false negatives in a row is low um and and sort of where a false negative um and then a few false positives are like you're starting to get into the territory of multiple things going wrong in a row um and i mean that can happen if 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 the tests are not controlled in a in an environment where he's getting a test done by a different person every time in a different location and the tests are going to different places. So you can rule out that there's one single point of failure in that process. Uh, and even if there is that, that sort of questions things. But I mean, it is, I, I'm looking forward to working out what's actually happened here. And I, I don't necessarily know the way they're going to do that. Yeah, and it, it, you're right. It does raise, I mean, mathematically, it raises a few questions. But I think regardless of the, you know, his negative test, I think that, you know, um, we can't latch on to, you know, it being a false positive or false negatives or whatever it is. Um, at the end of the day, there's a positive test there and they're going to have to do some investigation around that and that's going to take longer than the two-week isolation. So he will isolate for two weeks, I imagine, um, and and then be available. And I think when you get a positive test back, um, regardless of the even if you get a subsequent negative like he has, you've kind of got to just treat it as if you've been tested positive. Um, it's it's the lowest risk strategy to the community. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, from a technicality and from a scientific point of view what has transpired, you know, um, whether there is some irregularities or if there's, um, uh, you know, whether there's testing mistakes or whatever it is. But... I think, you know, the message still to people is positive test means you isolate and protect the community and protect yourself and the ones you care about as much as possible. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I agree. Um, I was like, when I was thinking about this, I was sort of going through a couple of the thought experiments. They're not really thought experiments. Um, it's more just applications of it mathematically so to help people understand it. And I might just go through one quickly because it, it helped me to understand the potential problem of testing. Um, and as Sean said, the right thing to do is to take it seriously, um, isolate and keep social distance. Um, but here's sort of how these things go wrong is that um, we're doing a lot of testing, more testing than everywhere else. And if you assume that there's a 1% chance, I don't know that it's slightly higher than this, but there's a 1% chance of a false positive. But if you test... Um, I don't know, 10,000 people. Uh, if you test 10,000 people, 
and we think there's potentially a 2% chance of somebody having the virus, but there's a 1% chance of there being a false positive. It means that 100 people um, have falsely tested positive, um, but potentially only 10 people have the virus. So you're actually having a whole lot more people suggesting they have the virus than they actually have. Only actually 9% of that small sample really have it. So you start to get into dangerous territories. As you know, the right thing to do at the moment is just to segregate everything until you have a cure um, and treat this really seriously. But I'm interested on how they're going to just police it for like, just for like football. I mean, we, we saw it on the weekend. It's sort of stuff with everyone's weekends. If you were involved in fantasy at all, I mean, it really stuffed with your weekend. If you had <laughs> a lot of Melbourne and Essendon players, like I know a few of us did. Um, yeah. Like me. <laughs> and that's, that's the, I know that's not the end of the world, but it's, it's mighty frustrating. If It's going to be very frustrating if it turns out that Conor McKenna um, was a double false positive um, and really there was no reason to cancel the game. Yeah, but, I mean, um, based on the best available information at the time, yep. they've done the right, the right thing. thing to do. Um, and, I mean, probably the only thing I'd say with that is, I mean, my, my probably biggest problem out of it is we have trimmed the season back to 17-minute or 16-minute quarters plus time on. So we've chopped 20% of game time. We've cut the amount of matches by five rounds um, and all this stuff to be agile and flexible and all that. Um, and part of that is, you know, given this issue cropped up and given that, you know, you've got 10 clubs in Melbourne of the AFL, so over half the AFL being in Melbourne, and we're the hotspot for coronavirus, my thinking on it would be the AFL would try and play this game as quickly as possible um, and not not delay, push it back into a different block because, you know, that's one more game you've got to try and squeeze in later. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you had said to, you know, when it all came out kind of Tuesday and it was, you know, um, only James Stewart and Conor McKenna are affected, which, you know, not ideal for Essendon either, um, considering Conor McKenna was selected to play and he's a best 22 player. Um, but, you know, I would have strongly pushed for them to play this game this week and delay Melbourne and, and um, Essendon's games to later in this weekend. So whether it be yep. Sunday or Monday I- or whatever that is, because... I- Completely agree, mate. Um, and you're, you're right. When, you, when you're talking about the agility of the season, the whole point, as you said, of all of these measures was so that we could be agile. So yeah. tell the teams all weekend that as soon as we get confirmation of how many people are out, we're going to play the game with everybody else. So everyone's game ready. Uh, play the game on Wednesday. And we've done it with Anzac Day last year. So play the game on Wednesday. The games are shorter anyway. And then play the next two games, one on Sunday, one on Monday. Um, yep. and just have the, the rounds done. Uh, everyone's played, um, and th- this is how this football season is going to be managed. Yeah, and, and that's it's, the thing. Like we took, like if we're not if we're not going to be agile like that, then I'll happily take my twenty percent game time back. Thanks. You know? Yeah, like that. that exactly. That's my problem. Yeah. Is like we've like even as a, uh, there is not one. Well, I won't say that. I won't make a sweeping statement. But I would imagine the majority of football supporters out there want the 20 minutes plus time on a football. So, you know, we want our 20% back. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if you're not going to use it for what it's intended, well, give it back to us. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's nothing else that's stopping them from playing longer games, and well, and look, they yeah. won't. They won't. We're they back won't into play a round. Games. But we're back into a round structure, which is exactly what they conditioned us against. So, you know, yeah. they've gone. They've got to make all these sacrifices and 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 you know, made all these choices to be agile and flexible. Um, and they've you know handed money back to broadcasters and all that sort of stuff. And yet, the measures they've put in place to be agile and flexible, they're not using. So then I start questioning the wisdom of handing back the money. Like if, if, yep. you're, if you're going to end up playing a rough structure of rounds, which is what broadcasters would prefer, and you're going to play out this season in a round structure with maybe one or two buys um, to allow for, for hubbing and all that stuff, then you should have the games at full length. Yep. I think that now that they've started the season at shorter length quarters they won't change it just because of the integrity of having <laughs> yeah well there, there is an integrity issue because i mean if you uh, if it comes down to percentage at the end of the year and you got to play um the worst teams in the competition for an additional 20 minutes um which resulted in you getting more a greater percentage and potentially qualifying for finals and that and i know that these are like hair like fucking splitting hairs but well, that, that's the re- that's the reason why they won't change but, that. But what, I, I, but what about you know we talk about integrity being so important? Well, you know the AFL and the history of the game has shown, you know, their integrity is whatever happens on game day. Like all you have to do is look at the, you know, what was it Aurora Stadium a few years ago, Siren Gate or whatever they called it. You know, like, you know, a team was robbed of a victory. Yeah, they and, get, and, exactly. And they just say, "Play on, carry on." You know, we can't give you the points back. Don't worry. It's yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I don't think they take enough. I don't think they take enough. Um, take enough stock in being in being bold. Um, exactly. I think it would have been the right thing to do. But it would have also been a bold thing to do to say you're playing and it's Wednesday, and, and we're yeah. going to move the schedule around. Other clubs other clubs be flexible you're going to have to be flexible we're moving games around next weekend to fit in the fact that we had to delay this game just deal with it um that would have been bold it would have taken chances it would have been the right thing to do same thing with that game a few years back it would have been right for them to go back and upon review say the game was over time was done the siren didn't go which was wrong um the the score is stands as it was at the end of the game rather than when the final final whistle and siren blew yeah um and look, the other club can be like, "Oh, that's not fair." It's like, well, it, it is. Sorry, that's that's the, like you would you would be pissed off if the same thing happened the other way. Yeah. You gained additional time and won in time that wasn't yours to win in. Um, so we have to we have to reverse this result. Sorry, um, well, but they're not they're not bothered like that. They're they're a bit of an old school um, organization, really. I mean, innovation to 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 the AFL unfortunately means AFLX. Um, and you and you know that I'm all for AFLX as well. I'm all for trying things. I'm all for trying things that will um, potentially improve revenue streams, give them new new elements for growth and everything. But it's an old school. It's an old school organization. Yeah, risk yeah. risk mitigation, boys clubby style. Well, now we're talking about that. I guess the the probably the on flow for me is is with the coronavirus is probably talking about. I guess the the WA hub that's coming up, which potentially we're going to see, you know, Western Australia has eliminated the virus. Um, I know they've got a few cases in hotels, but in the community, it's been eliminated as it has been in South Australia as well. Um, and in actually, and in Northern Territory and, you know, it's pretty, 
pretty much under control everywhere else but Victoria. Um, the Derby, when they go back, is potentially going to be played in front of 60,000 people at, at Optus Stadium. So, um, you know, the West Australian clubs are going to have fans back. South Australian clubs, I believe there's a timetable for returning fans. 10,000 people this week in Queensland returning to the football. Um, I think given where Victoria is at at the moment, the AFL and I think the wider football public probably, um, for the for the sake of the game, probably need to be thinking potentially this year's finals um, and, dare I say it, even grand final may be played interstate. Yeah, I mean, that that's a the grand final is a whole other question, isn't it? Um, because really the grand final should be played in whichever team's state finishes on the highest on the ladder and qualifies for the grand final, but that's not the way it is. So whether now with crowds and everything, by the time we reach October, November, whenever the grand final is going to be played, um, what's the situation of COVID then and will it be played into state because of that or will the MCC say, not nah, play it in front of no crowd, you guaranteed us the grand final, we want the public, I don't know what they would do. Oh, I think if the AFL was to um, want to play it in front of fans, which they've openly said they had, there, there would be an avenue for negotiation with the MCC. And look, like I'm an MCC member. Um, I don't want to see it played anywhere else but the MCG because I get my grand final ticket every year. But, um, you know, it's... It, I think for the good of the game, we need to be open-minded this season and flat, flexible and agile, as we spoke about. And part of that may be that if you can get 60,000 people in WA or 55,000 in South Australia or um, I can't remember how much the Gabba holds, but, you know, call it, you know, 45,000, 50,000 or something up there. Um, you know, if you can get that amount of people, even the SCG as well, like if you can get that many people in front and the MCG is limited to 20% capacity, well... It's a bit of a no-brainer to me, like um, get it in front of more people. I mean, I, I understand that you want to be able to see the grand final if you can. So being able to have MCC um, and have it always played at the MCG is obviously a privilege um, that none of the other states get to have. But in you know, it is as um, non-emotionally attached way as you can about something like this. What do you think is fairest long-term in terms of where the grand final is played? Well, I've, al- I've always said it comes down to it's money, yeah? The biggest argument for holding the, the grand final... Okay, so I'll answer it the two ways. If you put your club hat on and as a supporter, you want it played wherever your home ground is. And I understand that and respect that. Um, of, of of the of the club that finishes highest the, and is playing in the grand the final. highest the home side the, yeah, exactly yeah. You, 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 yeah so if some if even if a club finishes seventh and another club finishes eighth they don't line up they win the whole way through to finals seventh gets the grand final because they finished highest correct yep absolutely and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that in that is probably the most balanced way to to manage it from a, a club perspective. But it's not just about, I guess, the clubs and the supporters. It's also there's a financial side. So unfortunately around Australia, and especially with um, 
uh, what was it, Stadium Australia or the the, um, the Olympic um, venue that got just got oh, knocked yeah. down. Yeah. Um, there's no, I think there's no other stadium in Australia that's capable of holding more than about 60,000, 65,000. So, you know, the MCG holds 100. So 35,000 difference, which is effectively, you know, that's a, there are some stadiums that they play at that are smaller than that difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, so monetarily for the AFL, moving it from the MCG would be a big hit to the back pocket. So, you know, if we want to see, if we want to go down the Super Bowl route um, where grand final tickets cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for viewing impaired seats, we could quite easily do it. But at the end of the day, the agreement with the MCC provides that, you know, a lot of the Victorian clubs that play at the MCG have good stadium deals. Um, and on top of that, some of these clubs now are getting money through COVID from the MCC as a sign of good faith. Um, and, you know, 100,000 people um, means that, you know, the ticket prices, although expensive, they stay at a reasonable price as well. Like there's, yeah. there's, it's so difficult to talk about this without coming off biased one way or the other. Um, if it was, yeah. if it was to be taken away from the MCG, while I'd be upset because I've got an MCC membership, I think the footy purist in me would understand and I'd get over it. I, I think that's, I think that's where I sort of sit. Um, like I'm in Victoria, so I can, if I choose, get a ticket to the grand final that would cost me some money. Um, but realistically, um, footy fans, like as in we talk about price of a ticket and things like that, for the cost of Fremantle fans to come over uh, and watch the grand final. True, um, true, yep. It's huge um, yep, when, yep. when they travelled over and they travelled over in as many numbers as they possibly could, but it's enormous. Um, the cost of accommodation, flights, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I, I've been sort of thinking about this. I mean, if the two arguments are stadium size and dollars, I mean, there's two levers that we can pull. Um, one is that another state just builds a stadium the same size um, and we just de- deal with the fact that a lot of the time it's empty, um, like an, an Adelaide um, or something like that, a football-loving, cricket-loving state. Uh, West Australia, you've got plenty of money. Um, I know they just built a nice, beautiful, nice new stadium, but build one that holds 80,000. I mean, 80,000, you're getting into that sort of comparable, 90,000, you're getting into that comparable range. Um, or, yeah, we have to look at ticket pricing um, and say, would businesses in Western Australia who have never had the opportunity to host a grand final pay a little bit more for grand final boxes and packages and everything like that? Um, and then is that... I, I, I'm a big believer that it is fair because I know that there, there would be businesses in Victoria that have always had the grand final that would suffer because of that. Um, the, the North Melbourne breakfast, things like that, that always happen um, and are part of the economy in Victoria. But equally, I, I think that the right thing to do, um, and I'll always, I think, believe this, is that the best, the best thing that we can do by football is to give the team that finishes on top the best chance of winning. Um, I 
as much as I loved the dog story and they won away versus the Giants that year, I think it would have been really hard to go to Sydney twice and, and, and beat the Giants and then beat Sydney. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of clubs that recently that I feel like, you know, would be very hard to beat on their own turf that have come over and been comprehensively beaten at the MCG. And it's not yeah. always the case. It's not always the case. There's about a 50-50 record um, in, in the interstate versus Victorian teams at the grand final. Yeah. But I think the fairest thing is that. Yeah, look, and I don't disagree. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so biased that I would think that, you know, being taken away from the MCG is, is not fair. It, I think it's probably more fair, if anything. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I think this is the this is the year that if they're going to do it, they can do it. Um, and I really think that yeah, like um, looking at the stadiums around Australia, um, you know, uh, a grand final at Adelaide Oval or or Optus Stadium would just be magnificent. Like, that'd um, be awesome, wouldn't it? Both, both incredible venues. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to to watch the the, the first day night test over in in Adelaide, um, yeah. at the beautiful Adelaide Oval, um, and you know um, what a ground. I love it. Um, I've also witnessed a, a showdown there, so I know how raucous the atmosphere can go. So, um, you know, great great venue. I've been to the old Subi many years ago. Um, again, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, Optus Stadium rocks as hard as Subi used to. So. Um, yeah, yeah. I I think I think we're I think we're both on the on the same page. While while it's been a pleasure to have it in Victoria for so long, and look, we've been talking about this for a while. Not the focus of the podcast, but I think a sore point for a lot of people um, that are non-Victorian AFL fans, and look, for some of us as well um, that are Victorian fans that just sort of want to see what's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to see that. And I know that the deal extends with um, the MCC for a long while. Um, Yep, and the AFL is a risk. Yep, the AFL is a risk intolerant organization, so I don't see them tearing up that deal anytime soon. Um, but I think the right thing for them to do is to reassess that um, long term and, and start to think about football as as a national sport. Um, yeah, we've but- got like we've talked we've talked about another podcast as well. We've got unsustainable, potentially long term Victorian clubs. Um, Whereas you could have more clubs interstate um, that that would be able to be sustained uh, by the amount of fans, the amount of support, and and, and that will happen long term, either through expansion um, or otherwise. But yeah. it's yeah, it's not balanced at the moment. Yeah, and I definitely think um, I think probably this, like I said, this year is the year. This is the year we can you know potentially try out a few things. It's kind of the year where the, the, the rule book's being thrown out the window. So um, encourage the AFL. Um, we've given them a few clips so far, but um, definitely yeah, encourage sorry. the AFL. We, we, love, we love the AFL. We do. Not, not skilled, um, though. We're not, we're not talking skilled stadium. <laughs> I'm not talking skilled stadium. I mean, I'm not talking You mean GMHBA? GMHBA, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'm talking about the largest stadium in a state which i think is a fair compromise um i don't i don't think um playing um hawthorne versus geelong in a grand final at skilled stadium is wise um (laughs) if geelong finish higher than hawthorne i think that it still has to be the largest ground in the in the state and that sorry geelong in that case um but yeah no that's fine that's, that's probably fair yeah yeah 
Um, probably before we move on to the main topics, um, probably just, you know, we're not, um, I guess, hugely political on this podcast, but um, just want to, you know, say how um, how great it is to see the, the football community um, band behind the um, the Black Lives Matter movement um, at the start of every game. I think it's, you know, it's great to see that we're, um, as, a, as an AFL industry, they're uh, standing up for and, and um, supporting, um, you know, a movement that is incredibly um, important at the moment. And, and that's, you know, around, uh, I guess, equality and, and social justice in, in the world. Um, not just obviously Australia, obviously affects a bit wider than that. But, um, you know, I know typically we, we probably try and avoid these topics a little bit. You know, I definitely think for, um, uh, for, for you and me, John, it's, it's definitely something we both uh, support. And it's, it's great to see um, our, our players supporting it. Yeah, I, I don't think we like, you know, I think we try not to go into too much detail, but we definitely support um some some causes uh, whether, whether it be things like this or it's more to do with mental health and stuff we we try to at least have a position on things and it's definitely um you're pro the movement um I, I think it's funny like uh, not funny i think it's interesting to reflect um being uh being a white man um like uh, sorry but like white men we're the least discriminated against people um of, of all time Yep. Um, and when, like, I, I had to ask, um, my wife and even that's like one step removed, like women have had a harder than men, um, over a long period of time. So, um, but I had to ask her, I bought some Jordans. So this is linking back into our Jordan podcast, but they were, um, black history month, limited edition, um, shoes. So there was only a couple of, maybe there was a thousand pairs made. Um, so really, really nice shoes. Um, I love them. But I, I actually had to ask my wife, um, is this like, can I buy them? And like, as in, is, is, is that, is that right? Like, as in, I, I know that like, I, you shouldn't necessarily have to think like that, but I, I was, I found myself, uh, questioning, I guess not why I knew why I was wanting to buy them. They both looked awesome and they represented a cause that I cared about, but whether that was acceptable, um, and of course it is. Um, I mean, we need as many allies um, in, in this cause as we possibly can. Um, but I think that's, um, I think it's important to, to think about with everything. Um, if you have a cause that you care about, um, being on the right side of it and, and, and representing it as truly as you can, um, including the awkward parts about it, like just facing the fact that I, I did feel uncomfortable about whether that was the right thing to do. I had to ask. Um, and I probably over time I'll get better and I'll understand more of um, how I can show support. Um, but my advice is just to, if, you, if you've got something that you support and you believe in, then, then just say it, say it loud and pr- proud. Yeah. And, and look, I'm, I'm a big supporter of everyone educating themselves and being better. Um, I saw your post on Twitter, John. I thought it was really, really great. Um, you know, I think uh, growing up, uh, probably I think there was a lot of things growing up that I look back on now and, and probably think there it was a bit of casual racism. Um, and, you know, being kids, you, you 
don't know much better, but you know, I've I know I've reached out to a friend at uni uh, of ours who who even used to tell us um, what their nickname was. Uh, I won't repeat it, but it's it's definitely a, a cultural stereotype racial nickname, um, and that was the name that they introduced themselves to me as. Um, but uh, I reached out and I asked um, them if if that name was a name that they used um, as a way of assimilating or, or to, I guess, um, fit in. Um, yeah. and, and it kind of comes back to what Tony Armstrong uh, said on um, the Indigenous footy show on the AFL website. Um, I can't remember the name of it at the moment. It starts with a Y and yeah. it's just in front of my head and I can't quite UK, think of it. It's Y-O-K, something like that. I, yeah, yeah, I'll get it. Um, but, yeah, it came back to something he said and about how, you know, with his friends he, you know, played along with the jokes and all that kind of stuff. And it was, yeah, I reached out and, and I asked, you know, was it just you trying to fit in and da-da-da? And, and they came back and said, well, subconsciously, yes, it was. And and I said, oh, look, I'm, I'm so sorry you felt you had to do that and I'm so sorry that, you know, I perpetuated that and, and used this nickname. Um, and, and yeah, I, and they, you know, they were completely gracious and said you know we you know it's on you know i told i introduced myself to you that way but um you know they appreciated the fact that um i was reaching out and checking in and and you know i'm trying to understand i guess um you know potentially how powerful the words can be um and where it came from so you know i encourage everyone as john said you know on that on that on that uh tweet um don't be afraid to reflect don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to educate yourselves um because yeah. it's important that we all grow together man i'm really impressed like i i didn't know you did that that's pretty awesome um and i yeah i agree with what you said as well is it's like if it's something that you 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 wonder like you're questioning um just i know it's hard sean's a pretty brave guy um uh, but doing what Sean did is the right thing to do is just to ask like at least I don't know there's a lot of people that have to deal with a lot of adversity we don't really have to deal with it and there's a lot of times where probably the person that's got this question that they want to ask hasn't had to deal with that kind of adversity so be as brave as the people that have to deal with this every single day are for dealing with it and, and ask the question and, and try to do the right thing um, I, I think that's really important and I can give you an example from um from my childhood, um, which, I mean, late childhood, so late teens, as you said, there's a lot of casual racism in Australia and then there's some more overt racism. And the problem is is that casual racism and sort of racial jokes, even if even if amongst small groups you sort of know that they're just a joke and no one actually thinks that, is what it does is it empowers the person that really does have that belief yeah. um, to, to think that it's acceptable Um They'll, they'll think that they're joking about it, but it definitely shows that it's less of a joke. Um, I remember when I left high school, um, I went to a university doing a course that no one else was doing. Um, it was probably more due to the, the high school that I was going at rather than my um, intelligence or difference from anybody else. Um, but I, I was going to do an engineering degree. And I remember that one of my school friends said to me when I was leaving, um, just make sure that you don't make any Asian friends. 
um and like i i've been reflecting a lot about that over the last couple of weeks and that was something that really affected me at the time because it's it's brutal like and i I apologize to anybody that finds this sort of this issue sensitive it is um but it sort of goes back to the fact that i mean obviously i don't think that this person knew much better um and that he don't think that that's an opinion that he formed on his own. It was probably formed at home um, by listening to casual racism from family members and friends um, and sort of thinking that it's normal. Um, but I, I've thought all the way throughout university um, and work after that, I have thought about having Asian friends. Like as in, it's been a thought. Um, p- people that, like, <laughs> I know that we're all like, it's, it's really hard to talk about, sorry, without seeming like an idiot in one way or another. For all Australians, for all intents and purposes, everyone that was visiting that uni, not everyone actually, there were people that were um, were from other areas in Asia and would, would proudly call them their home country and we were coming here to study. But the fact that I had to think about that every single time that I was making a friend um, really messed me up for a, a while um, just in my behaviors and attitude towards different people treating people differently not negatively trying to go outwardly the other way but the fact that it's it's not necessarily in my nature and i think that you know me well enough sean to sort of say that i i do mean that when i say that um but the fact that you sort of have to i don't know i have to doubt myself i had to doubt myself all of that time it made it hard and i can't even think about how hard it is for people that aren't in as privileged a position as I am, but have to deal with the racism that is in Australia. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just shit. It is. It is. And it's, and it's just an issue that, you know, as a society, we probably have to confront head on. Um, and, you know, we just have to be willing to listen um, and try and understand the best we can. You know, it, it's hard to understand privilege when you're in the privileged position um, is probably yep. the, the way I look at it, um, all I can do is is listen to to what my friends say, um, and and try and educate myself as best as possible to, you know, ensure that going on um, from here, you know, we, we educate and we change behaviours, um, you know, yeah. doing our best best to to eliminate the casual racism, the casual sexism. Um, the discrimination, you know, changing your vocabulary is quite powerful. I've always found, um, you know, and just being inclusive is important. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you're not, I, I think people are inherently good and, and John, you certainly are a good person. So um, yeah, I, have no, yeah, I, I have no doubt in that, but it, it's also, yeah. it's also, you know, we are conditioned a certain way and, and, you know, it's yeah I it's mean, not we, an excuse I know that, I know that we're, to... yeah it's not yeah. but we, we just have to you have to like we have to speak up like as in that yeah. that's, that's the reason if you're in a position of privilege um you have to take advantage of that position to speak up and help people that um as my wife calls it are playing on hard mode um yeah. we're all we're all playing life um and some people will have to play on easy and normal settings um others have to play on hard mode and if you're one of the people um like sean and myself who who do naturally get it easier um try to do your best to to think about 
how much time other people spend in that harder state and, and try to do everything that you can um, to make life easier for them. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's sort of all we can do. Um, and, and, and listen. And listen and chat, yeah. 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 But, all right, mate. Um, we may as well uh, <laughs> talk football. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So before we do hook in, one final thing. Um, I'm setting you some homework because okay. I've, ha- I've had a cracker of an idea um, because I know you like your deep dives. Um, we obviously did that deep dive on um, on the Brisbane Lions um, as a very early podcast and it's something that you and I both enjoyed but we haven't done one for a while and I was thinking about it the other day and, you know, Adelaide's copying a bit of grief at the moment. Um, obviously, yeah. so turn the torch on them. You're thinking, nah, <laughs> nah. Your home, your homework is to go away and and surgically analyze. Uh, I guess what's what's happened along the road and and how you know maybe the last six six or seven years um, how they have progressed to the point they're at today, um, where it looks like they're in full rebuild mode. So. Um, you know, I guess, what are the decisions that led them there um, from a list standpoint? Um, let's not dig too much into the to the, uh, to the the noise side of things. Obviously, the camp and all that stuff is, um, you know, it's well documented um, and, and certainly there's a, a component there. But I think from a list perspective, um, you know, there's been some interesting um, interesting changes and the, and the club's faced a lot of adversity, obviously, Um Losing Phil Walsh um, certainly hurt as well. Um, but they, you know, effectively on the weekend, um, they had 12 players who played in that grand final, I believe it was, still playing on the park. Um, so I guess how have they <laughs> how have they got to here is, is the question yeah. I'd like to understand. And so that's your homework. You're going to go away from this. You're going to um, have a look at the lists over the last... Uh, over the last six or seven years, the the trades, the draft moves they've made year by year, um, and some of the key demographics that we like to look at, and then we're going to come back and have a nice discussion around Adelaide, which will then lead into the start of our list analysis. I love it, mate. So um, I, lo- I love being able to have an informative discussion about something, and and being able to really assess without. Judging, I know we'll try to draw some conclusions from what we what we learn when we do this deep dive, but being able to actually just assess what happened um, and, and then assess the list in its current state rather than trying to say, here's what happened and here's the effect. Here's what happened and here's like be too causal. Um, just sort of look at what happened, as you said, over that over that seven-year period. Um, if you haven't listened to the Lions one, it was one of our early podcasts, so the equipment won't be as good. We're probably less structured. Um but it actually is really interesting. Um, so uh, well worth a listen. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things, yeah, one of the things we want to talk about in this podcast, and it was a bit of a topic over the last couple of weeks, um, was uh, age, uh, age of teams, um, age and experience, age and experience. I mean, I I think age is an interesting one because um, you often hear clubs use it as an excuse um, in press conferences, not pointing any fingers at any clubs in particular. Um, but such it, as not pointing anything as I said that um, I'm just as... saying no I won't go into it but there are clubs and I'm staring at one right now on the list in particular um, but there are clubs that tend to use that in a post-match which obviously yep. means they're 
aware of it in their pre-match. Like they're obviously got that as a data point in their head that they're thinking here's a reason why things could go wrong. Um, but I think it's funny that they point to it quite a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess probably where it's come up in the last few weeks is around Hawthorne fielding the older side, which they then didn't because, as Clarko jokingly said afterwards, oh, we swapped Poppy out because we couldn't be the oldest, um, which I absolutely loved Clarko taking the mickey out of that one. Um, but it also raised a few interesting points around um, is average age and average games um, and when we say average, that's that's basically, you know, obviously um, taking the the sum of your playing list and the sum of their experience and then dividing it by the amount of people on your playing list or your best 22, however you wish to slice your data. Um, and I guess when you do averages, it's assuming um, it's a normal distribution. So it kind of follows a, a normally distributed bell curve. Um which just isn't the case. It's actually quite interesting when you look at um, when you look at the AFL um, because you can't play AFL from age zero. Um, you can only play it from age eighteen, um, and you have players playing up to the age of thirty-seven this year. Is that Ablett and Simpson thirty-seven-ish, thirty-six? Uh, yeah, Simpson's definitely getting past thirty-five, so he'd be up there now. Yeah, yeah. So you know, there's quite a large data spread but because of the way list management works and the turnover in lists it means you always have a skew to the younger end of the list and your your um your data set cuts off at 18 so i thought about this and i went away and i did a bit of an age bell curve and and basically at you know what's effectively 1.5 standard deviations from your mean um is 18 years old and that's where your bell curve ends so you're very much not uh, normally distributed around a, yeah. a mean or an average. Um, and then I thought, well, I started looking at the games played as well. And uh, interestingly enough, there's something, there's over 100 players on AFL list that have never played an AFL game, um, which yeah. um, when you think about there's, well, how many? There's about 800 and something players in the AFL. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not that surprising that one-eighth of them, maybe a little bit more, has, has not played an AFL game. But again, when you when you try and mimic this as a normal distribution, um, what you find is, in fact, that one standard deviation from the average amount of AFL games, which is about 65, um, yeah. one standard deviation is about 75 games. So when you do minus a standard deviation you're on about negative nine, negative 10 games. So yeah. we're not even one standard deviation if it, away. If it could be normally distributed. Yeah. yeah, if it could be normally distributed, we're not even one away and it's not working. So then I guess looking at stats, what do you do? You, you know, what's the best way to look at it? Because I think no matter what, the media is always going to use averages. Um, they're quick, they're simple, yeah. they're easy. And look, I think when taken in the right way, they they can give you a bit of an understanding. Um, and we'll look at a specific game example um, between Carlton and Melbourne the other week as a good one. But what I did is I went and grabbed all the data and all the players in the AFL. I pumped them into a into a spreadsheet and I worked out the the average age games and then the median age and games on, on um, everyone's list. 
and it, it really threw up some interesting things. Um, when you when you start to dig down, um, you know, we talk about um, you know Collingwood having the oldest list, for example, um, with the highest average age. Um, and remembering that the numbers that we've got are, are probably a little outdated. I think they're probably about three months old um, because I didn't want to go back and refresh all my data. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's a slice in time about three months ago. So um, everything's progressed three months from here, but, you know, there's been no delistings or additions. So it's it's reasonably accurate. Um, yep. But Collingwood having the oldest list by average, they also have the oldest list by median. So... 25.1 average age, 25.3 is their median player. Um, and then, you know, when you look at average games, they're second on 79, um, but yet they're first on median with 50. Um, so the middle player on, and what, what we, when we talk about median, what we're talking about is the middle player on their list is 25.3 years old and has played 50 games. That's... yeah. That's literally what that means. So half your list, I mean, depending on whether it's odd or even, but half your list is above 50 games and half your list is below 50 games. And and yeah. what that means is that um, if, if half your list is below 50 games or below 20 games, like that's where you got, start to see the experience levels drop. Because when we look at the, the youngest team being the Gold Coast Suns, 23.2 um, age, they are 22.6 uh, um, on median, which is actually the 16th um, or the, the third youngest list. Yeah. Um, so they're actually, their median player is older than two other teams, which is Brisbane and Fremantle, interesting enough. Yeah. And then it gets even more intriguing because on average games, they're 18th with... 50 point, uh, 51 effectively. Yeah. Um, but yet their median player is 13th overall. So has the, you know, this, there's now five clubs below them. Um, and that median player has played 31 games. So effectively half their list is younger than 22 and a half roughly and has played less than 31 games if we're looking yep. at at the, the low side. So that kind of gives you the, the spectrum. So 50 to 31-ish, and then in terms of age, you know, that 22 medium player versus a, a 25 medium player. So yeah, it's really it's really quite interesting when you look at it that way. So you actually get a, a, a good snapshot of this dynamics. Um, and I guess probably interestingly, North Melbourne. Um, and maybe, John, you can take us through what their numbers are and what your first perspectives are because um, you haven't yeah, really I, looked at this data. No. So I was going to say there, there are some interesting – I find it interesting like sort of um, looking at different cases that sort of stand out. North Melbourne was one of them. GWS was the other one. Um, so I, I can go through both of those. So yep. North, um, when we're looking at a whole list, uh, sit at a – Average age of 24.5, which is sixth, um, and a median age of 24.3, so effectively negligible difference, and is sixth as well. Um, and when you move into the games, you realize that uh, their average games is seventh, um, so that's divided obviously across the entire list. Um, but when you take the median point, it's three, um, which means that 
the middle player on their list is the that, that, that yeah compared to other clubs the middle player on the list is the third most experienced i found that i found it really interesting that melbourne um in this median games rank is second um so the middle player on melbourne's list is the second most experienced player effectively um yep. uh, which which sort of sits as a, another little outlier um and gws gws are sort of a, a an interesting case across the board not because their data varies very much but because of the fact that they are older than people give them credit for yes. um gws are constantly a side where people say imagine like to give gws one or two years they are gonna be red hot with all of those young good players but fifth in average age um second in median um so again you, you're starting to push up in that middle of the list um and sixth and sixth for games in, in sort of average rank and medium rank um and it gets even more interesting obviously when you move into um best 22 for other clubs as well yeah yeah absolutely so we'll move over to best 22 and these are the best 22s you and i i think selected at the start of the season um yep uh, rather than selected last week um I just, given the data set I already had, I just tried to work with it rather than trying to manipulate it too much because it was, I think I'd been working on it for about five and six hours and it was probably enough. Yeah, um, they're cool. So uh, we, well, with, with all of this, it's worth actually saying on that. Um, we just don't, we don't like the, the additional value that could be gained by us um, re-updating the data for now or scrutinizing the data any further is marginal for the purpose that we're using it for. If yep. we were doing a report for somebody, um, we would make sure that everything was perfect and we'd spend as much time on it as we could. Yep. Um, but we, as Sean has a little beautiful baby girl um, and, and we both have lives and jobs. So sometimes it's easier for us to use a little bit outdated data um, because the gains of using the most recent data isn't there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Looking through this, probably um, unsurprisingly, um, as highlighted the other week, Hawthorne have uh, the oldest average best 22, um, 28.2, um, and their median best 22 is 28.7, so they actually go up. Um, same thing happens with the games. Their, media, their average games is 148, um, while their median games is... Uh, 158. So uh, that ranks them pretty much first in everything, but median games where they're second and West Coast is first. Um, and I think what's interesting is Hawthorne, when you look at their overall list, they sit uh, third for median age, but they sit 10th for median games. And yeah. what, what I find, and that, that's something we analyse with Hawthorne is that the middle part of their, the middle to lower part of their list, and especially in their under twenty ones and stuff, uh, or under twenty twos, they they don't have a lot of games in them. They, there's a real gap in the bottom end of their list, and this really shows it. So, you know, their third oldest is their median player, yet they're tenth on the list for median games, which means that so much of their experience is um, is is in their older players because as soon as you move across into the best 22, you know, you start to see, you know, if their median player in their best 22 is 158 games, well, that means they've got, you know, um, 
what would that be? The median player will be. Well, I think this this is the data's probably taken it as ten point five. Um, oh, sorry, eleven point five. Um, but yeah, you'll effectively have ten players above and and twelve players below that number. Yeah, um, which is pretty interesting, um, and and it shows, I guess, when we go through uh, a lot of these these teams you start to see little anomalies as to, you know, maybe why a team's performing a bit better than expected. So, for example, um, North Melbourne, again, they, you know, their median age is 27.4 and their median gains is 115, while their average is 26.5 and 117 games. So you see that they're quite experienced and that puts them on when you take the median, they're in the top six for both categories. Yeah. Um, whereas when you take the average, they're you know they're only top top nine. So yeah. And and there's a big difference. Whereas you know a team like Melbourne, who has at a whole list level, is sitting fourth and second on the median ranks overall. On a game weekend in their best twenty-two, they're sitting seventeenth for median age and fourteenth for median experience. For, for games played. So yeah. Melbourne's actually best 22 is a surprisingly inexperienced uh, side. It is surprisingly inexperienced. Potentially, um, that might yeah, be. That's, a, that's an outlier for me, just how inexperienced they are compared to that. I also think it's interesting looking at, um, so if I'm looking across the board at whole list and best 22, using two cases, we, we compare these teams quite a bit um on the last podcast i think we even talked about geelong versus hawthorne in terms of um young players and potential young talent on their list where you're looking at best 22 those two teams really stand out um with hawthorne being one 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 and two across the board in terms of the total rankings um and the cats being two 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 and three um so that's the uh average age rank median um, age rank games and um, average and median. So those two clubs stand out as being the two most experienced, consistently experienced clubs across the board. Um, and, and West Coast and Collingwood sort of round out that top four. And then when you jump over to the whole list, um, you look and you go um, average average rank um, for age, Geelong for Hawthorne three. Yeah, okay. Median um, Hawthorne three. Geelong 12, um, which sort of shows you that the middle player in Geelong's list is a lot younger, um, drastically younger than the middle player in Hawthorne's list. So there has been a probably greater propensity to start turning over the bottom ends of the list from Geelong. And I think we touched on this, that Hawthorne potentially have held players for a little bit longer than Geelong, which is what's potentially dragging up that median. Yep. Um, But it's the same for games and experience. So... Geelong, um, number one for, for average games across the whole list, Hawthorne four. Um, but then Hawthorne overtake Geelong when it comes to median um, games. So the this Hawthorne still have quite a lot of depth um, in their list compared to Geelong, which probably, um, based on their performances to date this year, means that I should be considering them more of a threat than I am. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, like if we if we if we're using it for that measure, like as in going it, a high median means that in in when you're looking at whole list, 
a high median means that you've got good depth um, for, for experienced players. Um, so I probably have to pay more attention to Hawthorne. Yeah, but they're still in the bottom nine. They're still in the bottom half. Just, but they're still in yeah. the bottom half. Because, yeah, I mean, right. if, you, if you're if you paying attention to... Uh, Anyone should Hawth- be Melbourne and North Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, well, probably North Melbourne. I mean, Porter, an interesting case. I don't know, you know, like they're performing really well. Um, and obviously, you know, their youngsters are probably playing a year ahead of where they probably are, um, yeah. I feel. But, you know, at the same time, you know, with a shortened season, shortened game time, potentially this is the year where a younger side could uh, make a bit of a rumble. Um, it's it's. I mean, it's true. One of the things that we predicted, which so far I think I've been wrong about, um, was that older, more experienced players that are used to um, the routines and everything would perform better um, yep. this year just because they've been more used to it. I think I've been wrong on that. I, I think that the, the counter-argument we were making at the time, like we like to consider both sides, was that younger players, although they're not as used to it, also... Um, can you, do you remember being young? You, I mean, not even being young, but like being like 18 or 19, I was invincible. I could do anything to my body. I could get injured. I'd be healed in a week. Um, getting out of bed was always easy, even if you just had been beating up on the fields in footy. Um, whereas the older you get, the harder that gets. And just at the start of this year, the, the young players have really started on. Um, and, and I'm wondering whether it will catch up with them. But it's, it's been a bit of an outlier for me at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. At the moment, we we are dead set wrong <laughs> on that call. Um, yeah. uh, I certainly support you on that one, so I, I wouldn't throw yourself under the bus there. That certainly got me there. Um, I still think I still think in the long game, potentially, um, it'll it'll swing a little bit. I still think though that port port experience wise, um, you know. They're a little bit down. Um, that like they rank in probably pretty much around the 10, 11, 12 mark for most categories, depending on which way you slice it. So um, certainly at the moment, you know, if we use age and experience as a good indicator, um, which typically it's not too bad. And but every year there's usually at least one outlier in terms of a young team. Um, potentially ports this year's outlier. Um, but I certainly think that, you know, um, reflecting on early season calls, maybe North Melbourne <laughs> uh, severely underrated them and that potentially is my bias. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think I think we tried to flag that last episode just saying that we think that that was an error. It's, it's interesting what you said about Port. Um, one thing I will say, and I know that the draw has changed, um, but Port in terms of age, have been performing well because they're a younger team that that has won all three games. But they have played three teams with a lower age profile than them. So they've played yep. Gold Coast, who have the lowest, Fremantle, who have the second lowest, uh, and Adelaide, who are below Port Adelaide. They're not the third lowest, but they're, they're, they're probably above and below in certain categories. Yeah. Um, but I... I would say if we were tipping this game, um, which I think we did tip some of the games, I know the draw changed though, that we were tipping that Port would win these three games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so the, re- the real challenge for me with Port starts now. Um, and West Coast have been a below average performer to start this year. 
yep. they're playing an experienced quality side. Uh, and I'm very interested to see how really their next two to three weeks goes. They've got the Eagles, they've got the Lions, um, and uh, yeah, and then they've got the Giants. So if they're if they're the real deal this year, then they'll they'll win one of those games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they have to they have to get a big statement win, I think. Um, and the opportunity's up in the hub, so um, it'll be. It'll be good. I think I've I've enjoyed watching Port Adelaide so far. Um, I think they lost. Was it Butters or Dersma? They lost. Dersma. Dersma, and he'll be out for a little while. So that's a little bit of a a hit. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do, um, Port. Um, just the final part of this. Um, yeah, go. I wanted to. I guess I spoke about Carlton and Melbourne, um, and you know that was a game decided by a point. So 53-54 um, with Melbourne getting up. And, you know, looking at the teams, I think what I was, this is what kind of got me onto this whole topic was I was looking at the teams on the field and I kind of felt like Melbourne was was the older team, the more experienced team. And like, I really, in my head, I had it that they were, you know, like we should be thrashing cult um, because we had more experienced players and more more experienced um, uh I guess, youth as well. Um, but what was interesting was after the game, they actually, you know, it came up on TV and they said, oh, well, you know, Carlton was a year older on average age and on um, average experience for the game, it was, um, uh, what was it? They were, I think, about five or six games ahead. Hang on. Sorry, I've just lost my... <laughs> Lost. No, it's okay. Uh, hang on, here we, here we go. It's... People people love it when you when you're searching through a spreadsheet uh, rather than talking. It's good. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, yeah one year average age difference and eight games on average different. And I, I was a little bit shocked at that. Um, and then when you start going through the demographics, um, you know, Carlton had more players who'd played less than fifty games. Um, but they also had more players that had played more than 150 games. Um, so it, it, and Melbourne had a lot in the 50 to 100 game bracket um, and they were pretty even in the other brackets, uh, in the other kind of uh, 100 to 150 game bracket. Um, so it was really kind of interesting to see that. So then I thought, well, given all the discussion around mean versus median and, and where it all sits, um, I did a quick check. And so Melbourne's median age that game was 24.8 and the median games was 85 and for Carlton their median games was 85 but their median age was 25 and a half so um, they're about you know a little bit less than a year so maybe nine months difference in age but in terms of experience they are almost identical and then when you see the score of 53 versus 54 you go oh okay, there's two clubs with, you know, the middle player on their list has the same amount of experience. And in Carlton's case, that player is slightly older, but they're the same level of experience. Um, And you had a really tight fought contest and Melbourne out of the blocks and the Blues fought back and and everything. But I thought that was a really fascinating point um, to really demonstrate, I guess, um, you know, what you kind of think subjectively um, 
can often be uh, misrepresented by your biases. Yeah, I, I, agree. I tend to agree. Um, I mean, I'm always agree about those sort of things with biases. Um, but I think one of the other things that I find interesting about biases um, and talking about this topic, and I know that we've probably talked about this before, or I'm getting further into the book right now, um, The Black Swan uh, by um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, um, or Nassim Nicholas Taleb, I think is actually his name. Um but I love Nassim Tyler. You guys would have heard me speak about him before. Um, when he talks about the black swan, he, he, he gives two ideas that, that sort of carry throughout the book. One is called um, extremist, Dan. Um, and one is called, oh, um, damn it, I've, I've lost it. Extremist, Dan, and um, not mundane, mediocrist, Dan. Um, are the two, these two concepts they're fictional worlds that people can live in and he sort of breaks data into different categories that can fall within it um and what he sort of explains is um say you line up um a thousand people um and one of them is the heaviest person um imaginable not 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 just on earth right now but the heaviest person imaginable how heavy do you think that person is, Sean? I'll let you be part of this example. The heaviest person imaginable? The heaviest person imaginable to you. Like this is a human, but the heaviest person that you can possibly imagine. I don't know. 480 kilos? Yeah. So for 480 kilos. So this is an extremely heavy person, the heaviest person that Sean can imagine right now. And you've got these thousand people lining up um, that the rest of them are average weight. Um, so say that average weight is 75. Um so you have 75 people um, at, at no, 90, 999 people at 75 or if you normally distribute them outside of that and then you have one person um, at 480, was it? Yep. 480. With you. So that person, that when you look at that number, um, that 480 in that gigantic number which ends up being 75,405, total kilograms is minuscule like it's not a representative amount in that sample um and it it ends up being like a to the power of six so i mean 0.006 of the sample is that is that weight that that one person brings which is negligible um and what he sort of talks about is these categories that you can break into things that are negligible um when the when you have a one extreme outlier which belong in mediocrity and that is I'm bringing this up because people often overweight. Um, and I said overweight, but I'm talking about weight in kilograms here. But over, um, over, say it's over important when they're talking about games um, of one player. So people would look at that and be like, well, you know, Kate Simpson. Um, Kate Simpson and Betts are bringing up that age. I don't know if they actually played that game. Um, but uh, yeah, they that's did. what they talk about. Yeah, okay. So you're talking about Cade Simpson and Eddie Betts and you go, you know, those guys, super experienced, some of the highest games played players ever. But you're in a territory where um, because they're all conceivable numbers and they don't greatly affect the end outcome with 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 one or two outliers like that. They don't they don't really throw it off by so much that you can you can it sits within mediocristan so it's something that can be measured and can be sort of predicted and it makes sense it's less extreme which is the other thing was extremistan and he said if you do the same example for 
imagining um, 999 um, people of, of average wealth um, normally distributed and then imagine the most wealthy person that you could possibly imagine. Um, and, and I don't know what that number is, but I mean, if we even just take somebody like Bill Gates, for example, um, then you're moving into the like the, the hundreds of billions um, in terms of in terms of that person's wealth. Um, and that ends up being so grossly outweighing the rest of the sample that the rest of the sample doesn't matter. So without that one person, the average um, the average wealth of the group might be seventy five thousand. But with that person in the group, it's well over 150,000, 200,000, 400,000 because that person's wealth is so great compared to it. So, it's, I mean, it's super interesting. So, it's a book I, I mean, I highly recommend reading, um, not for my explanation of those, those concepts, but for being able to put data into those sort of categories, being able to go, wealth um, is something that belongs in Extremistan because it can, it's, it's, it's so greatly. Um, it's it's so greatly off base. What you, what what you need to be looking at if you want to find the actual average of that group is the median because the median represents the the sample. Um, there's one thing that completely throws off the sample and makes the rest of the sample negligible if you take the average. Um, but there are other things where you can use the average. Um, so using the average in that game kind of makes sense because it's not throwing off anything by that much. There, yeah. it's it's not that extreme. So when you, I've done a a very wordy and horrible job. Listen to the book; it'll make a lot more sense. And he's a, he's, a good, he's a good he's good at explaining these key concepts. My yeah. my wife would be killing me right now for trying to explain it. Um, but I think it's worth noting that when you think of someone who's very experienced on your list, they're not throwing off the average age by that much. Yeah. So I mean, look, like I did do using the averages um, because that's what gets talked about. Yep. Um, and you know, you take out Simpson and Betts, and they drop about 10 months um and then you but you know you do the equivalent to melbourne which is which is jones and jetta and and they drop you know the better part of seven months so it brings them closer together but melbourne's still younger um it probably the only place where it makes a difference is is experience um where you know um uh, melbourne drop from 97 just back to 90 and whereas Carlton yeah drop from 105 to about 85 so they yeah. do so they, it may... games wise they have a bigger impact because they're both over 300 games whereas yeah because um, Jet, it's, it's more extreme the, the total number of games that can be played is more extreme like yeah. I can, I can theoretically imagine someone that could play 500 games, but I couldn't theoretically imagine a 500 year old playing AFL. Correct. And and the other side, yeah. of, the other side of it is that, you know, Nev Jetta being the second oldest in the list, and that's I just purely did it indiscriminately off age. Yeah. Um, Nev Jetta has a disproportionately low games for his age. So the equivalent AFL player at the same age, you would expect to have more games. He's yeah. only played about 150. So, you know, it, there's there's things like that, that, and that. And this is why, you know, I guess bring it all back and bring it together. Um, I think using averages the way the media does, it can be misleading. So people just need to be aware, I guess, of, of the issues that we've discussed in this. Um, I think the median is a much more accurate methodology um, 
to use um, because it gives you that middle point of a list. So you can, if you can see where the middle point of everyone's list is, you can you kind of get an idea about where the experience is above and below. But again, it's not perfect. So because as you talk about, you've got your extreme examples. So for Carlton, you, you, we, we talk yeah. about their median player having, you know, on their list is 37 games and the median player in on a, on a game day is at 94 games. Um, yet they've got two players who have played, you know, over 300 or three players who played 300 games, in fact. So, you know, they're so far over, you don't know where the top is, but you kind of know where the bottom is. Like if their median is... 94 games the bottom of their list is going to be near to zero um so you kind of get an idea where those midpoints are and you can understand i guess very quickly and that's the point this is quick data it's not precise data you you can't kind of get both (laughs) um yeah you know it's why when you and i do our list analysis we talk about you know the age brackets and we talk about 28 plus we talk about um, the the bracket from 25 to 28, 21 to, or 22 to 25, and then we talk about under 22 um, and how important that is and, and where your club is at at a certain point and whether they're heading towards a premiership or coming out and rebuilding or if they're at the bottom of the cycle and about how important those brackets are um, to where your list needs to get to. So um, I think, yeah, I think probably moving forward we'll, when we... Um, uh, when we're discussing the list analysis, we'll probably switch to me- using a median. More- we'll use both. Yeah. We'll, we'll, okay. like, we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk about both. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's the best way to do it because, as you said, one is used more prop, uh, more by the media. Um, they both add value. Median will be better for some things and average is important to keep in mind as well. Um, yeah. Ultimately, they're, they're, all, um, they're all data points that, that help um but they they won't be able to discriminate between um i'm using a bad example here um any old like levi greenwood playing for collingwood um and um connor rosie playing for port adelaide yeah they, they, they won't discriminate the way that contest should be decided um correctly yeah they'll, they'll skew towards their the age and the experience versus the actual talent, um, yeah. which is in Rosie. But so again, we'll, it's we'll, it's yeah, we'll always try to bring that. Yeah, but as I said, it, it's it's I, I know a lot of people a lot of people dismiss stats. I mean, you and I obviously are very stats pro people, and a lot of people dismiss them because they go because oh, they can be debunked. Well, any stat can be debunked, really. Um, you can quite easily sit there and you know, Dangerfield was one of the most damaging players in the AFL, averaging. 55% kicking efficiency. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it, it doesn't mean that kicking efficiency is a worthless stat. It just means Dangerfield is a, an incredible player to overcome that stat. Um, and it, it, it's really, you know, people have got to take data for what it is. It, it's a representation of a moment in time or an analysis of a game. It's no, by no means is it a guarantee of prediction of f- future success, but if we look at our history, we can see that typically the um, older, more experienced teams um, make finals. That that's yeah. quite a, a, a well-known data point, and there are, you know, examples where teams don't fit that mold and win. Um, you know, 
you can go back to the baby bombers you can talk about hawthorne in 08 you can talk about the doggies you know like there are always exceptions to the rule but in general speak when you when you look at the top eight most years you will find that most of those teams you know a, a large majority of them sit inside the top nine teams in the AFL for age and, and experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's why it, it's a good, quick method, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And as I showed with that Melbourne-Carlton game, it was close. I sat there and felt we should have flogged them. But really, all the data is saying that they were more experienced, they were older. But when we sat there and looked at the mean, they're pretty much the same experienced teams and one team slightly older. So, Yeah, uh, it's... <laughs> This is I I love having these kind of conversations because you sit there. I mean, that that exact logical discussion that you're taking me through. You sat there watching it and thought you should flog them, and then you look at the data and you think, "Oh no, it makes sense why we ended up relatively even because of the age." But if you then look back at the teams, I still think that you should have flogged them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not (laughs) discounting. I'm not discounting that, but I'm trying to take a, a very <laughs> analytical. Like I look at our team and I think we're much superior, but then I have a bias to Melbourne. So, yeah, I I I think that I mean this is something we try to do on the podcast and tell us we'll get it wrong occasionally. Um, but we you always try to mix that combination of analysis of the data and then wait, does that actually make sense? Like, as in, are, are we doing sort of post? rationalization as in looking at the score looking at the fact that the ages are close and going that makes sense or if you watch that game and you watch those teams did it not make sense that that, that the d's um were fell apart in the second half and for me that's the truth it didn't make sense when i was watching it um it it looked like the d switched off and they were the superior team yeah absolutely Um, the, the the numbers show that it Potentially, I mean, it shows a bit more of a worrying sign for Carlton um, rather than a, rather than the other way around. It shows that I thought Carlton should be further ahead than they are, um, and they had a good win on the weekends. Um, they've got they've got to try to back it up. So I'm just ex- yeah, man, I'm just excited that footy is back, um, and yeah. I'm I'm glad that we've really got to talk about some topics that um, both to do with football and not football that I care about. Um, and we always want to hear people's stories. Um, if you want to, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you're welcome to um, DM us or um, or comment to us in public. Um, and, and happy to chat about anything. Um, and we probably and yeah, we probably should give okay. a shout out to the to the keeper league we've been in. We haven't really done our little uh, slice on the keeper league yet, but it's uh, it's been fun so far um, with. I think John and I have uh, maybe bitten off a little bit more than we can chew sometimes uh, man- managing <laughs> the league, but um, it's been bloody fun so far. Uh, I reckon. Yeah, we, we weren't we weren't busy enough running the podcast as well, and, and you having your first year with a with a daughter. Um, let's let's introduce one more thing that requires management into the mix. It's fun. Yeah, yeah no, but it's it's good fun, and and all the boys are getting involved, and uh, it's interesting to see some of the strategies. There's certainly. Um, it's certainly a, a wide band of performance. Um, and um, Wow. That's a jab. Um, Sean, it's, it's, is there someone that you're aiming that in particular that I should be acting this podcast to afterwards? No, no, absolutely okay. not. Um, Scott DeLongville. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, no, the old, the old yub nubs, they've, uh, they've not lived up to expectations so far. So um, I'll happily tell Scotty to his face. 
Okay, um, that's good. But the yeah, I think it's been really interesting um, the strategies and stuff, and um, we've had to obviously have a few reactionary rule, rule changes over the weekend after um, the the cancelled game. We probably needed to move to rolling lockouts to. Yeah, um, we had cer- certain members of the group um, spat the dummy. Um, is that certain and, members and, of this podcast being me? Certain members of this podcast <laughs> named Sean, um, without naming names, certain members named Sean were, were not happy with the rules on the weekends. Um, and so the rules have been changed to, to suit him, which is fine. Well, it wasn't um, changed to suit me. It was to suit a lot of people. A lot okay, of people wrote. All right. Okay, mate. Well, um, when you lose a game by eight points and you've got 118 points sitting on the bench that you could have adjusted as soon as the game got cancelled, you'll, uh, you'll you understand that. And I wasn't the only one affected. There were plenty of guys in the league who, who, who copped some fairly hefty donuts after that. Well, you were the only one that, that wouldn't stop calling me about it until I changed it. Um, Did uh, I? The amount of, Do you want me? The amount of hassle, the, the, yep, the amount you, of hassle that I caught this weekend was, was immense and, and not really warranted. I think I'm going to release the, you can the text rebut. messages. No, 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 no. Let's just wrap it up. <laughs> um, thanks again uh, to the to the guys or to the main man, um, Australian football coach, um, you can find, as I said, you can look it up AustralianFootballCoach.com. I mean, if you just type in Australian Football Coach um, into Google, it comes up anyway on Steam. Um, but I do really appreciate it, John. Um, uh, supporting the podcast means a lot to us uh, because this takes a lot of time and money to manage. Uh, and we always sort of do it off our own bat because we think it's important to sort of donate our ad time. But um, to be able to have the support of somebody like John has made it has made a huge difference. So uh, get around him, um, look it up online. It, it is super interesting, and yeah, look forward to talking about it with you more, Sean, in the coming weeks. Yep, I'm looking forward to flogging you in the game. So it'll be good. I'll win my first flag and rub it in your face. Uh... <laughs> it doesn't sound like you. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Um, look forward to chatting with you again, hopefully next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. See ya. If you constantly worry that the worst is going to happen, you're not alone. One in four Australians will experience anxiety. Know when anxiety is talking. Visit Beyond Blue to start a life beyond anxiety.